Flight attendants, please prepare for takeoff. Wheeler, Cycle, Line A, scores! I don't believe my eyes. Wheeler gets a hat trick. Oh my goodness. It's a big Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, hosted by Jets TV. Welcome to another edition of Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. And I've, I'm betting you're thinking, wait, that's not Jamie Thomas. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll be hearing Jamie Thomas a little bit later on. Uh, he's got an interview with Eric Tehachik that uh, that is definitely worth the time. But for now, just myself, Mitchell Clinton, and Tyler Esquivel in Vancouver as the Winnipeg Jets are ready to start a road trip. But before we get to, to any of that, Tyler, we just saw the end of the uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers game. Great season for them, obviously coming up uh, short of what their ultimate goal was, but uh, still a, a great season and a step forward, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Uh, shout out to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, an amazing season for them, like you said, and uh, tough to end it the way they did. Uh, you know, as, as a fan, I, I really thought the Bombers were going to pull it off this year and end that drought. They've never won in in my time on this here earth, so <laughs> uh, things are tough. But uh, yeah, let's switch gears over to the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Mitch, what have you seen from the Jets in the past week on that four-game homestand? Yeah, I mean, uh, Blake Wheeler said it uh, said it really well. Pretty pretty darn good. The, of course, they would have preferred to get all eight points, but they got seven of eight and a real tight game against uh, the Buffalo Sabres to wrap it up. Then the Sabres the next night go into Minnesota and beat the Wild. So uh, they've won five games in a row. So uh, the Sabres definitely definitely for real this year. But uh, for the for the Jets, I mean, I think you you see progress in, in all the areas that uh, that I think were question marks as they kind of started the homestand. Five on five was really good. The power play continued to be really good. The penalty kill only allowed one goal against throughout the yeah right throughout the entire homestand and so I think uh the game definitely trending in the right direction what do you think yeah uh power play obviously didn't produce a, a goal in a couple of the games there but I mean it this doesn't speak to it getting any worse or better I think it's it's still just as good as what it was when we when we were on that big tear there um goaltending was really good again Laurent, Lauren Bersois uh impressed immensely again mm-hmm. in that game against Buffalo uh Paul Maurice, really interesting comments after the game against Buffalo, uh, pulling out the the piece of paper saying he's got <laughs> everybody's shootout numbers uh, from when they were 12. I really enjoyed that. Well, of, uh, and that was the thing. That was the first shootout the team has seen uh, this season. And then for it to go into the seventh round, like it went it went deep. So you're definitely going down the... And it's not even like in practice, they do a whole lot of breakaway stuff. They've been doing some two-on-two stuff like that, a little bit of uh, somewhat battle, if uh, if you will, just to be able to get that grind and work on those those puck battles in the corners and everything. But they never really work on, on shootouts. So there's a whole lot of skill on this team. So it was interesting to kind of see them in. And then and then to go down kind of the the list of guys that every and every time a player was up you're just like okay yeah he could get one he could score he could score he could score it's it's a lot of depth there but of course uh, the goaltenders really came to play in that shootout yeah I mean at the end of the day this this is the NHL and these guys are insanely skilled like you said and I think putting anybody up there at the center dot and going down and shooting is is a good chance to put the puck in the back of the net and again the goal the goalies are good too so mm-hmm. um line a's goal really impressed me just yeah, absolutely was, opened oof. him up and Hutton didn't even have a chance yeah yeah definitely picked his spot well we won't uh waste any more time we'll we'll get right into uh Jamie Thomas's inter- interview with Eric Tehachik uh of The Athletic a, a very good conversation there they cover a lot of bases and stick around after that interview Jets rewards code word and a whole lot more coming on the ground control podcast 
50-50 tickets are now available online for all Winnipeg Jets games. Buy yours before the start of the third period by visiting tnyf.ca slash 5050 in support of the True North Youth Foundation. This is Adam Lowry. You're listening to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. Pleased to be joined by uh, Eric Hattrick, former Global Mail writer and, of course, uh, currently with The Athletic and, of course, uh, has uh, a lot of things to say about the Hockey Hall of Fame Selection Committee as he was a part of it for 15 years. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for doing this. I guess, first off, do you remember the day you got told that you were on the Selection Committee? Oh, yeah, very, very well. And, in fact, it's kind of a funny story because uh, at the time, uh, you know, the person playing the part of Lanny McDonald was Bill Hay, who's the, you know, the chairman of the Hockey Hall of Fame. And I knew Bill uh, through, uh, first of all, through Hockey Canada, and also he had been president of the Calgary Flames for a period of time. And, and actually what he did is he called me out of the blue and asked me if I would be interested in joining. And, you know, like I couldn't believe it. This was like in 2003, and I just won the Elmer Ferguson Award for the, the writer's version of, of the Hockey Hall of Fame. Of fame, but I was, I think, 45 years old or something like that, and I knew that most of the people on, on the selection committee, you know, were in their 60s, 70s, some were in their 80s, so I did, you know, they was like, really? You want me? Right. And, uh, it just felt like, um, like you know, I, I didn't really know what to say, to be honest with you, and what had happened is that Kevin Allen from USA Today had been on the committee, and his newspaper had instituted a policy that, that obliged him to resign, and in fact, I was working at the Global mail at the time, and I also had to clear it through the powers that be. So I gave him a provisional, absolutely, don't change your mind very quickly. <laughs> but I had to, you know, check with the sports editor and run it up the flagpole, and it was deemed that it wasn't a, a conflict of interest. And, and so, so yes, I absolutely, uh, uh, you know, as soon as that process had been completed, it took about a week, I called him back as soon as I heard, because I didn't want him to change his mind. And it was, it really was the start of, of one of the most fascinating journeys of my professional life. Like I, I really didn't know what to expect, um, but a member of the committee, I had two kind of friends on the committee. One was John Davidson, if you remember, Jimmy and those, yeah. J.D. and I were on the Satellite Hot Show together. So right. J.D. and me and, and Ron McLean and, and Al Strack. And so, so J.D., once I joined the committee, gave me a really good primer on what to expect and how the meetings work. And it was a very useful uh, exercise. And, and the other member of the committee that I knew really well was Ed Chenev, um, who was president of Major Junior Hockey across Canada in the time, and we'd known each other since the 70s. So having a couple of <clears throat> friends on the committee uh, really assisted me in the early years, just in terms of getting to, to know what the process was like. The first time you rolled into the meeting, was it overwhelming? Did you Were you nervous? I was scared to death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think everybody's like this, though. Like, even, yeah, even people that, you know, that, you know, that, that absolutely belong there, you know, and, and that Hall of Famers themselves, when they first get in the meetings, you know, they, they will tell you that they're, they're very nervous. And, and for me, you know, like, I had this, this vision. So I, I, I was sitting between Stan Makita and J.D., and, and, you know, so Stan Rikita, like one of the, the great oh players God. of my youth, I mean, it's like, that, that's Stan Rikita, you know, right. <laughs> he leans over, extends his hand, introduces himself, welcome aboard, it's like, oh my God, that's Stan Rikita saying hello to me, and then I'm looking around the room, and Dick Irvin was on the committee then, I watched him on Hockey Night in Canada, Frank Selke Jr., I remember when he was on Hockey Night in Canada, Frank right. Atari had been the referee in chief for a long time, and Neil Francis 
was on the committee in those days. Plus, people that I knew, you know, like Pat Quinn was there. I, you know, I had a professional relationship with Pat, with Harry Finn, with Serge Savard. So it wasn't like everybody was uh, was I was meeting them for the first time. But there were, you know, people who I, you know, as a kid growing up, you know, watched, uh, admired, um, you know, and 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 I, you know, this is this is truth. I, I, I remember thinking as they closed the door that if there was a camera above the room and they would, you know, focus on each person, yeah, no problem, no problem. And then they would get to me and it's like, okay, wait a second, what's that guy doing there? <laughs> so, you know, you, you do, you, you know, you, you have to, but, but, you know, what happens is that you, you get more accustomed to it and yeah. uh, you find your voice and, uh, you know, and then, and by the end, I, you know, I was a senior member of the committee this, uh, this past June and, uh, and that felt really weird too, you know, because again, you know, there's a tremendous, we, you know, we've got Igor Larionov, Anders Hedberg, Yari Khoury, um, you know, Mike Gartner, uh, you know, Luke Robitaille, uh, you know, the, the guys that I, you know, covered throughout their careers and that greatly respected. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm the senior member of the committee. That felt, that felt almost as weird as it did when I first walked into the room and, and just felt completely in over my head. I, I know you can't divulge details about certain things, but what, what were your favorite parts? Or I don't know about memories, but what were your favorite parts of those meetings? Well, I think, uh, yeah, so, you know, briefly, if you don't mind me explaining, so we, we signed um, fairly strict confidentiality agreements when we first joined the committee, and the one thing that they ask is that you not discuss the internal workings of the committee, and, and mostly that's designed to uh, to in, to engender, like, a frank discussion of views, you know, because, you know, the, the whole idea is that, you know, there are 18 people in the room, you need 14 people to vote for you to be elected to the Hall of Fame, and they want people to say, you know, to, to, to give an honest assessment the pros and cons of candidates, and the feeling is that if, um, if people were to were to speak about what went on in the room, that people would withhold their their opinions, and they they want it to be kind of a free for all because because that's the only way that you can you can really dissect these candidates. So um, so you know, like I can't tell you, for example, you know, like who I got elected, who I failed to get elected, right. all of those things. But but it is it, it's an intellectually challenging exercise because. There is, you know, there are broad guidelines in each category, in the player category, in the builder category, in the referee and linesman category. But within the context of, of those those broad guidelines, which are posted on the Hall of Fame website, if people are interested, um, there is also kind of like a, a feel to it. You know, like you know, sometimes a player might have had a short career, but been like a, you know, like the, one of the top players in the world for a long, and then maybe an injury ended his career. So, um, how do you compare a candidate like that against someone who had tremendous long Longevity in the game, and, and then the, you know the notion of you know how much weight do you put to to hardware, how much weight do you put to a team championship, uh, you know when this is an individual award. So there's all these things, and, and and in the end, sometimes it just comes to down to a visceral feeling about you know whether somebody is a Hall of Famer or isn't. And uh, you know I remember when the, 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 the one of the first things that Bill Hay told me when he asked me to to join the committee, and that was it's hard to get into the Hall of Fame. And it should be hard. And I think he was making that point because, you know, sometimes you do get disappointed if, if you have, if you're backing a candidate that you think absolutely belongs and, and, and you fail to, to win, uh, the necessary votes. But, but that's the reality. It's hard, it, it's hard to get into the Hall of Fame. And I know that, you know, that's one of the more divisive things about, 
uh, about it because on the one hand, social media, you know, seems to have empowered a lot of people in, into, you know, voicing opinions. And, and the Hall of Fame is one of those situations where, you know, there's a percentage of people that are mad that their favorite player isn't in and they think it's a complete joke that they're not in. And then there's another percentage of people on the other side of the fence that believe it's too easy to get into the Hall of Fame and they describe it as the Hall of the Very Good. So, you know, my contention is that, you, you know, in our business, and you know this very well, you're never yeah. going to make everybody happy all the time. And if you can have diff, you know, like people on both sides of the issue thinking that on the one hand it's too hard, on the, one, on the other hand it's too easy to get in, maybe we are finding that right middle ground most of the time. Did you find, did you find people get more passionate about their favorite player getting in the Hall of Fame or more passionate about their favorite player not getting, you know, being written about poorly when they're still playing the game? Yeah, hard to say. I mean, that's, that's yeah. Yeah, hard to say, hard to say. But it's, uh, I, I just think that there are, you know, there, like, there are sort of objective criteria and then there's, you know, then, then there's subjective criteria that, that go mm. into the, the decision making process. And the thing, but if you're a fan, you know, often you're not looking at things objectively. You're only looking at the at the subjective side of the equation because that's your favorite player, and so you want your favorite player who's had this this great career to go into the Hall of Fame. And you know, I mean, that's. I mean, I, I don't think I'm breaching confidentiality to, to tell you that you know there are some players that, who I was advocating for and and just failed to convince enough people to get in, and and that's you know that's the way it goes. You know, you have to be philosophical about it because. You have one vote. There's 18 people in the room, and if the majority of people either support a candidate or don't support a candidate, you know we yeah. go along with the majority. That's 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 how it works, and that's and that's good. It's a good system. It's a good process. I imagine conversations would get pretty heated at sometimes. Were you guys able to get past that? At sometimes, would it, would it take well, now you're that's borderline. <laughs> I don't know if I can even say that, but I think you can intuit. <laughs> that that is probably true. <laughs> um, just how quickly did the 15 years go by, Eric? Yeah, really fast. Like really, like I couldn't believe it actually. Um, so halfway through my my um, my term is, is when term limits were were introduced, and that was done by the board of directors of the Hall of Fame. And and, and I support term limits, even though it, it you know I got caught up in it this time because I do think that you need fresh voices all the time and and new input and, and people who are on top of of the, you know the, the current members of the game. I, like I remember that that was another thing that Bill Hayes said. I said, "Why me?" You know, and he said, "Well, you know, all the people that are coming up in the next you know 15 years. Well, in those days, it was like you know it was almost like a lifetime appointment. Are people that you covered and you know, so you have a firsthand knowledge of you were in the rinks assessing them, and that's the kind of of uh, knowledge that that uh, uh, that we want. So. Um, so yeah, I, you know, and that was like about uh, I think I was it was in, in my eighth year then, and so it was like oh, so I got lots of time left, and then all right. of a sudden, uh, you know, you get to fifteen, and it's like oh, jeez, I'm really fast. <laughs> so, uh, and, and I have to say, you know, like regrets. I mean, I have no regrets, but I, I you know, if I'd been if I was on one more year. You know, next year Haley Wickenheiser is, uh, you know, yeah. a, a candidate. I mean, yeah, Haley's going to get in on the first ballot, but I covered Haley from the time she was 16, like a, a full arc of her career. So right. I would have liked to have voted for, for Haley. And also, you know, Jerome McGinley's coming up in, in two years, and, and I covered the full arc of his career, and, and it would be nice to sort of stamp the imprimatur on him. But, but both will get in uh, with or without my support. So, uh, but it would have been like you know, maybe three more years would have been pretty good. <laughs> yeah, no question. How how important is it that Kathy Campbell Pascal is now on the the selection committee? 
Yeah, really important. I mean, that, that's one of the things that I'm most proud of in, the, in this whole thing because, um, like, one, one, there's a real misunderstanding about uh, about women talking and how it relates to the Hall of Fame. But when I joined in 2003, there, like, women were always eligible. They were always eligible. But because there was only a single player category, if there was a female candidate and a male candidate, you would have to compare them. And it, it's apples and oranges. I mean, it's a completely different game. Women's body doesn't, uh, hockey doesn't have body checking. So how do you compare Angela James to Wayne Gretzky? It's, it's difficult. So within the time that I was on the committee, uh, Ian Scotty Morrison, who was the chairman of the hall at that time, uh, and his daughter worked in the, the public relations department of uh, for, for Team Canada for a number of years. He was, he was in Calgary a lot, and he said, you know, let wh- wh- how are we going to, you know, sort of find a way to make this happen. And so, um, you know, I canvassed a number of, of the female players that I knew because I, I, you know, I've covered women's hockey, you know, for a long time. And, and yeah. right from the very first Olympics and even before that, but, but you know, but really started paying attention uh, prior to 1998. So I canvassed a number of, of candidates and, you know, they all said the same thing. It has to be full honored status. They don't want to be segregated or ghettoized in the corner of, of the Hall of Fame. Um, but, but they also agreed that, you know, that it, it you can't compare male against female players. The game's too different. So what we, what they, what the hall, of, uh, what the board of directors devised was to create a separate female player category. So now when we go into the room, we we vote for the male players that were nominated, and and it's apples to apples. And then we not we we discuss the female players that are nominated, and that's apples to apples. And to me, that is absolutely the right way of doing it. And right. and and I I take a small amount of credit for helping to uh, to create that the language in the revised rule to um, to allow this to happen. And in, in the course of, of my 15 years, we elected you know six female candidates. And uh, and about two years ago, I already put the bug in Lanny's ear. I said, when you replace me, please replace me with Cassie. And he mm-hmm. said, I'm way ahead of you. So it's, you know, <laughs> this has been in the works. And, and that's the other thing is that in social media, there's been you know like a, this sort of campaign and. Uh, and this was always in the works, but but you, too, you know, Dana Hefford made a great speech this year, I thought. And, and yeah, did you ever? Her point was that you have to effect change slowly and methodically and rationally and intelligently. There are people that believe you just wave a magic wand and, and everything is right in the world, but that is not how it works. You have to work within the system. And and as I say, I, I'm proud of the work that I did to to um, to move this forward and 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 I think now we're we're getting into the the next generation which is to have a female member of the of the committee and I hope it isn't just one I hope in a very short period of time after Haley Wickenheiser gets elected that she joined the committee now having said that we need to find qualified female candidates in the same way that you have qualified male candidates on the on the committee. What makes Cassie so unique is that, you know, she does commentary on Hockey Night in Canada. She follows the male game very closely and she follows the female game closely. So she's utterly qualified to discuss both sides of the of the player equation. And I also believe that, that Haley Wickenheiser in time will do that too. I mean, she's she's a member of the Leaf front office right now. She's going to med school. She really is, like, you know, arguably the most you know, the uh, admirable person I've ever met in my life. She's just got so much going for her right now. She's got Wickfest happening here in, in Calgary at the moment, and and right. brought in a team from India. I mean, she's unbelievable. So I would love to see once she gets elected somewhere in two, three, four years' time to have two women on the committee, and then uh, I think that that will. Um, that, I, I think that 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 is an end goal, and I, I believe you'll see that happen within the next five years. 
Sure, North Sports Entertainment uh, Executive Chairman Mark Chippen also coming on the board. Uh, what What have you liked about your dealings with Mark, and what do you think is uh, how good of a or why was he the right choice to come on the selection committee? Well, first of all, uh, I love Mark Chipman, and, and we, you know, we've developed a friendship, I guess, or a relationship. I don't know what you would call it. Whenever I get the chance to visit you guys in Winnipeg, you know, we spend sometimes spend you know hours and hours in his in his office talking about philosophies of hockey. He's a really intelligent man. He's a man of great integrity, I think. And I told him this, and he says, oh, "I don't want to talk about that." But I think I think he's going to be the next, like somewhere somewhere in his the arc of his career, if he wants it, he could be the next chairman of the board of the National Hockey League. You know, right. at, at a certain point, Jeremy Jacobs is going to uh, step down. Believe me, the, the people uh, at that level, um, you know, the general manager I talked to the other day called him a rising star. Like, he's just great. He's, he's one of those, he has a lot of the same qualities that Harley Hotchkiss had, the former Calgary Flames owner that was the chairman for like nine two-year terms. I, I think he could he could be great in that role. So in terms of the Hockey Hall of Fame selection committee, uh, he'll be he'll be perfect. You know, the, we need Western Canada Canadian voices. Um, you know, mine is disappearing, but but you know, Mark right. will add something. You know, Mark, Mark is, is essentially what happens is Kathy's replacing me, and Mark is replacing the late Bill Tory because Mr. Tory passed away in in, in the spring and. Uh, and I, I think everybody is very excited to have uh, Mark join the committee. I think he's just one of those guys that uh, that has a broad understanding of the game of hockey. Um, you know, as I say, you know, and, and isn't going to uh, pursue an agenda. You know, like just you know, we'll, we'll you know honestly evaluate every candidate. And uh, sometimes one of the hardest things to, to 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 do is to you know, like I voted for you know players that I I couldn't stand, but I thought they belonged in the Hall of Fame, and I and I voted against players that I really like because I didn't think that they met the standard. That's a hard thing to do, you know. And you have to have, a, I think you have to have a, a sort of a level of personal integrity to be able to separate your own feelings from from this process. And uh, and I think that he has you know sort of that the inner strength to to do that. So I think he's going to be great, and I also think that. You know, from talking to Lanny about this, you know, for a little while already, that like a fabulous choice, and uh, he's going to enjoy it. You know, we we uh, I ran into him in the street uh, a couple of days before the thing was announced and congratulated him, and uh, and I said, you know, if you have any questions, you know, call me. And and uh, but I said you're really going to like it. I said it's one of the most intellectually uh, demanding days of the the year. But at the end of it, uh, you know, and, and you feel spent at the end of it because it's like four hours. You feel like you've been in the boxing ring or something like that. But it is really, uh, um, a, you know, like fun. <laughs> Fun's the wrong word, but it is, yeah. it's, just, it's, it's just really a, an interesting thing to go through. I, and uh, someone asked me the other day, are you going to miss it? And I thought I wasn't going to. And then, of course, you know, like it, it's your last induction ceremony as a member of the selection committee, and you realize, yeah, I, I am going to miss it. <laughs> I am going to miss it. It just it challenges you intellectually. How proud are you of this last uh, inductee class? Well, I mean, I... That's a, a little bit of a tricky question for me because uh, right. I, I did get one of my people, I guess I should say, uh, yeah. elected, and I was very happy about that. I mean, I I think it's great. I mean, I you know, but you know, some of them were like you know pretty easy to be honest, and uh, and there were others that you know required a little bit of persuasion. But uh, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, if, if you look for for um, for a common thread, you know, you'll find you know people who had to overcome obstacles. 
Um, yeah. you know, Marty St. Louis, you know, like he started in Calgary. I remember when he first arrived, he was the last player to ever, you know, get a contract in Canadian dollars. He was an unwanted player coming out of the college system and somehow by, you know, just dint of hard work, uh, made it to the Hall of Fame. You know, Jane Hefford, you know, like I did a long story on her for our, our website and she said that, you know, unlike a lot of female players over time, she found that, you know, male players were very supportive along the way. She didn't come up against the kind of, um, you know, roadblocks and, and feelings that, that a lot of female players did. But nevertheless, she forged a path for, for the next generation of players. And of course, Willie O'Ree, same thing, you know, like he broke the color barrier and, but more importantly than that, uh, you know, has, has managed to spread the gospel of, of this great game to, you know, places that, that didn't think that they, they, you know, that hockey was, was their sport. So, um, so that's, you know, those people made an impact. They made an impact, you know, on the ice, but they've made an impact in their community and, and in helping to grow the game. And, and, you know, like this, and what I like about hockey is that, you know, that most of the people that play it and most of the people that are in our industry, you know, are in it for the right reasons and, and there's a collegiality and a camaraderie um associated with, with everyone. It's just it's just fun. Like I you know, I'm in Calgary today, you know, Calgary's playing the, the Oilers, Wayne Gretzky's there, you know yeah. twenty minutes of conversation. Bob Nicholson's there, fifteen minutes. I mean it's just it's just you know, it's a really great industry when it's at its best. And so, uh, you know, and what the Hall of Fame does is it, it honors uh, the, the, the achievers in, in the game. So that, that, that's, you know, why, you know, this 15-year association for me has been, like, really fun. Uh, I've talked to you about this before, but how fun were the years when the Calgary Flames, the Edmonton Oilers, and the Winnipeg Jets were like the best teams, the late 80s, early 90s. How, how fun was covering hockey at that point, considering that you were based out of Calgary? Yeah, well, it, it was my favorite time, you know, and again, you, you, you sort of, I guess you have a certain bias because um, because I thought that, uh, you know, for a period of time there, the three of the five best teams were in, in that spike division, and I always thought yeah. that, uh, you know, like, you know, Calgary won a little bit and, and Edmonton won a little bit and Winnipeg never won much because of the roadblocks that these teams presented. And I remember saying to Dale Howard Tuck after you got elected that, you know, that you guys had the hardest path ever because of the way the divisional structure was. And, and nobody, not enough people appreciated how good those Winnipeg Jets teams were. They were fun to watch. They could skate. That's a, that was a tough barn to go into. And, um, and, and yeah, it, it was great. The hockey was great. And, uh, you know, and I think the hockey is great again now, but, you know, like I've covered it for 41 years. Now it's my 41st year. And there was a lull in the middle of my writing career where, where I found it to be practically unwatchable. And, you know, you tell people, you know, I don't, I don't even want to go to the games. And, and you know, it sounds yeah. like complaining because you get paid to, you know, to watch hockey. But, but, uh, but those games in the 80s, you know, you never missed one because, you know, they, they were just – you know, they were so competitive and, and they were so, they were battles, you know, like that, that was, that was what it was. And, and I kind of like the way, you know, the direction the game is heading in the last few years, more openness, more skating, um, you know, you don't feel that every player that's playing the game right now is going to be a cripple once their career ends. Yeah. There's a lot of good things going on in the game right now, but yeah, that was, that was a pretty good time, I have to say. You, you, you kind of get nostalgic when you get to a certain age, and maybe you know that old thing, you know, um, you know about how it was so much better long ago. Uh, I don't know, you know, but it, it just felt pretty good to me at the time. Who, who's your Who's your favorite Winnipeg Jet now, 
And then who is your favorite Winnipeg Jet in the late 80s? Well, my favorite Jet right now, there's a few, but Josh Morrissey, I would say. You know, he's a Calgary kid, so I've known him a little bit. And every time I talk to him, I'm struck again by what a smart, intelligent young man he is. And, you know, like I have kids that age now, too. So, you know, like I'm one of those people that, that believes that, you know, that, you know, everyone's talking about, ah, this new generation. Well, I, I think that there's a tremendous amount of, of great young people in the world that are forging paths. And I just like the way that Josh carries himself as, as a person. He's, uh, you know, not only is he accessible to, to all of the media, but he, he just seems to have, like, great values. I, I really like Josh Morrissey a lot. Um, well, I don't know. Can I say Tamu? I mean, I yeah. love Tamu. <laughs> I love Tamu. You know, right from the start, um, he was, you know, he was one of my favorites. Charismatic, um, great player, great person. You know, a couple of years ago when he and Paul got, Paul Korea got elected to the Hall of Fame, we went to the, they had a, a party on the Saturday night before the induction and, and uh, Lisa and I got invited to the thing and it was, it was just so much fun to, you know, to, to socialize with him a little bit and, uh, you know, I just, you know, I think both of those guys have just so much going for them. You know, Paul, um, you know, recovering from the concussions and, you know, like sort of, you know, sorting out his life through the surfing and the ballroom dancing and all those other things and Tamu with just that energy that he has and that smile and that positive outlook on life. I mean, you know, those are the people that I like. Uh, you know, there's an awful lot of people that sort of, you know, drift through the world, the kind of morose and down and glasses always half empty. And, and you know, then you get somebody like Tamu who just, you know, fills you with energy. And, and you know, the, those are the people that I want in my life. Eric, uh, congratulations on a tremendous 15 years in the Hockey Hall of Fame Selection Committee and really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Well, thank you for inviting me. I, I enjoyed it too. And, and as I say, I, I sent Mark a note, you know, wishing him the best and, and I think he'll do a fabulous job. And, and you know what? He's going to find 15 years fly by pretty quickly too. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Eric. Okay, thank you. Shop where the players shop. Jetsgear and truenorthshop.com are your authentic team stores. Make sure to stock up on all your favorite Winnipeg Jets and Manitoba Moose merchandise today. Visit one of the five Jets gear locations or shop online at truenorthshop.com. And welcome back to Mitchell and Tyler in Vancouver. <laughs> in our hotel room in yes. Vancouver. A great uh, great chat between Jamie and uh, Eric Tahajic. It was uh, covered a lot of bases. Obviously, some great uh, some great words about, about Mark Chipman and, and the Hall of Fame committee and everything in there. So really glad we, we can have... Uh, Someone that's, I mean, been in the game, been around the Hall of Fame uh, as much as uh, Eric on the show. So we definitely appreciate his time. Tyler, we're on a four-game road trip that begins in Vancouver, goes into Calgary, then back-to-back with Minnesota and St. Louis. The Winnipeg Jets haven't played a whole lot of games on the road, although they've been on the road for significant amounts of times. You you think about the the Finland trip and then everything that kind of led into that, but uh, the first kind of extended road trip uh, in a while for the Jets coming up this week. Yeah, for sure. The one thing that struck me when we came into Vancouver on Sunday was I could read all the words on the buildings, (laughs) Yes, uh, which which has been a bit of a a different thing for us, but uh, no, an exciting road trip uh, playing against Vancouver here on Monday. Uh, Should be an intriguing matchup. They're coming off a loss to Montreal, kind of a late one too. Uh, So uh, that'll be good. Then rolling into Calgary, who's been a good team this year. and mm-hmm. Really you know, good battle of Alberta not too long ago. Yeah. Bo- uh, both the teams are about to face here. Uh, some interesting things going on in between the pipes for them, whether or not mm-hmm. we'll see you know, Mike Smith in, in Calgary uh, is kind of up for grabs at this, mo- at this moment. And then, uh, yeah, rolling into Minnesota and St. Louis for the Thanksgiving uh, weekend in the U.S. So mm-hmm. it should be a fun road trip. And Elias Pettersson will... Uh 
by all indications, play for the Vancouver Canucks, uh, which he didn't when uh, the Canucks were in Winnipeg uh, earlier this season. So looking forward to, to seeing him on the ice. And it's a little bit different scheduling-wise. It's an afternoon game in Minnesota, and then uh, the team will fly after the game, get into uh, St. Louis at, at actually a decent hour. So that should be uh, kind of interesting for scheduling purposes. Anything else, Tyler, from this past week that's kind of stood out to you before we wrap things up here on Ground Control? Not overly. I think uh, the team continues to show that they are what we thought they were going to be at the beginning of this season, uh, still continuing to build that five-on-five game. And uh, obviously, we, we've seen flashes of this game that they say that they know they can play to. So it's yeah, still it early. It's ex- it's exciting. I mean, mm-hmm. there's nothing really negative to really key in on that I think we need to focus on here. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously, just see if we can get all four games on this road trip. And you've waited this long. Here is your Jets Rewards code word. It is Line. Line. As in Patrick. As in Patrick. Line. So that's your Jets Rewards code word for this episode of Ground Control. For Jamie Thomas, Eric DeHatchik, Tyler Esquivel, and Mitchell Clinton, we will see you next week. This is Big Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, hosted by Jets TV. For Jets news, videos, and more, head to winnipegjets.com.